William Lathan. He is an incredible entrepreneur from a family of entrepreneurs. I was so fortunate that today I had the privilege of sitting down with him and interviewing him for my podcast. But we don't just talk about the successes. Because I'm a firm believer in that entrepreneurship is totally glamorised and William is too. Instead, we get to the bottom of his fuck-ups. We get to the bottom of how he almost lost everything when the financial crisis hit. How he didn't sell anything for 18 months. But how his perseverance, talent, hard work and determination saw him out the other side. We also cover that, does money actually make you happy? Some, something I've always asked all my podcast guests. And William's answer is incredible. So without further ado, I'm Liam Chick. Tell everybody, right? Tell your friends, tell your partners, your brothers, your sisters, your hookups. Tell everybody. Because trust me, this is the shit I wish I knew. So let's dive into episode five of The Online Disruptor. Hey, so Will, thanks so um, much for joining the podcast, mate. What I tend to do with all my guests is I ask them where you think I should start talking about your journey, where where you think we should start in in terms of your journey, your entrepreneurship journey. Oh, hi, Liam. Right well, thanks there. for having me on the show. First of all, it's very, very nice to, to join you here. Um, where should you, where should we start? Well, I, I almost think like um, starting with vulnerability and failure is probably one of the best places to start because I think maybe your listeners will hear enough and see enough um, manufactured happiness and success um, out there in the big bad world of uh, social media. Um, and um, actually, most being an entrepreneur means getting really comfortable with failure. Um, so I would, I'm always an advocate of talking about that, um, talking about, you know, it's okay to fail. <laughs> it's okay to get it wrong. And with that knowledge, it's it's then really empowering just to give it a go and stop worrying about being perfect and everything being right. So, um, yeah, so from, from my point of view, I, I tell people, um, or I'm always happy to share that there's plenty of businesses that I've started that have gone absolutely nowhere, um, that have sat on the shelf of crazy ideas that William Leighton had at some point in his life. Um, and that's absolutely okay as an entrepreneur. I think it's actually almost a prerequisite if you're sitting here listening to this show thinking like, you know, I want to try something, just try it. And, you know, it doesn't have to define who you are, right? You know, sure. maybe it's the same for you, Liam. I'm sure you've had some other crazy ass ideas along the road somewhere, um, which never saw the light of day or just never got off the ground. So, um, yeah. And that's normal. It's absolutely normal. So, I mean, you, you um, say that I've got like a yeah, I mean, memory. I, I, yeah. Go yeah. You say that I've got like a memory. No, stick sorry, go here. ahead. You go. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a memory stick here of like fucked up businesses that haven't. Pay, pay, paid off like one of them was a dj business knew nothing about that D didn't go anywhere of course so 
what would be useful then is what was the first business mm. you ever started or the first idea you ever thought of one that mm. oh gosh i've done quite a few that's really difficult what was the first one well i think the first thing i ever did entrepreneur wise was um i used to do something called guy forks um have a a um a penny for the guy it's one of the ones i remember which was back in the day kids don't really do it anymore but around Guy Fawkes they used to stuff a like a scarecrow type thing and take it to your local shop and sit outside the shop and say a penny for the guy and get some money for it um that was one of the ones I remember I I had a car cleaning round I used to do um that was pretty okay um so there's been stuff that I've done which never really went anywhere which were just sort of little like kind of side hustles I think I think more recently I've tried quite a few different things like I've I've tried um, healthcare products. I've thought about, should I do a healthcare product? I've got one in the offing that I'm thinking about at the moment alongside my normal job. I've started, um, I've also done in the past uh, a training product as well, which I created. We sold it, but then decided that it wasn't really quite where we wanted to go. So canned it. I actually created within that process, maybe that's a good, a good example to start you with because I decided after running Siege now for 23 years, midway part through, I was like, I wanted to have a, a product which could teach people how to recruit. But I was actually thinking, first of all, what would that product be? So it wasn't very, wasn't really set on it. So I actually tried quite a few different ones and I, and, and a number of those just didn't work. People just weren't interested in them. I put them out to people. They'd say, mm, yeah, no, thanks. Will. I know you well, but I'm just not interested in it. So a load of those just died um, and never went anywhere. Um, I've thought about setting up like a plastic free pills. I've done that. Didn't, I tried, tried and tried to get that one off the ground, but ended up coming up against cost of the machinery constantly and, um, get really difficult to get the, um, the manufacturers to agree. So that one died. Um, and, um, like I said, more recently, I've done a healthcare product, which still is semi alive, but I don't know. It's a, a mushroom supplement. <laughs> so we're going to see where that one goes. Um, oh yeah. And I've done as a kid, maybe going back much like to pre-internet age, I had many affiliate websites as well. So I was big into doing like affiliate marketing. There was actually a period in my life where I was either going to be an affiliate, do affiliate marketing, or I was going to do headhunting and I chose headhunting in the end. So yeah, it's hard to ask an entrepreneur like which one, because there's so many of them. Um, but oh yeah. And I mean, I've lost money. I must, I've lost big money, um, big, big money in, in investments as well. Uh, just around the financial crisis, all of yeah. these things I learned, uh, I've taken as lessons. So yeah, lots. Yeah. So, so we'll come on to that in a minute. Does any of that help or do you want me to dive any deeper? Yeah. So mm. I was going to dive into something on that point. We'll, we'll cover the, um, cause obviously we had an initial chat the other day, didn't we? And then you, you were telling me how, um, how, shit hit the fan so to speak what it sounds like with those businesses i get a lot of messages all the time which say so for example the other day i got a message off of a 17 18 year old kid who said hey i've started doing freelance marketing for example i've sent out 100 emails and i've been rejected on every one you sound like um from those businesses you got rejected quite a bit like it didn't take off how would you 
have you got any advice for people to deal with like that sort of rejection or how did you like persevere? I, I presume mm. you get rejected now, even, even with your, your business now, what, what sort of advice would you give on that front? Yeah. Well, it, this is a nice way maybe to, for me to puff up my ego a little bit and talk about the successes I've had <laughs> because all of the success effectively has come on the other side of failure. Um, and, uh, you know, folks listening to this, like, you know, realize I started out, um, when I was about 17 in headhunting in recruitment, um, dropped out of college after three months, just was sick of it and just wanted to work. Um, and that was right for me. And I was lucky to, I went through a couple of different sales jobs, sold all, say, all types of weird crap, um, until I found headhunting and, you know, all the, the key thing that I learned all the way along with that was like failure and like taking no, getting no, and then learning how to go again. Um, and that is like, I think that everybody should learn at some point that failure is just another step to success, right? It, it's just one step closer to something that's going to work <laughs> and you just got to persevere. Um, and, um, so with the headhunting, I started Exige, um, and, um, in 2001, I started my company and I had many, I, I just literally got a book. Like I got, a, and this is back in the day when it was really difficult to research companies. So I just literally just tried to find like any consulting company in my sector with financial services experience. I had a book, I sat at my desk and I started calling people. I started calling receptions. I mean, it may sound weird to people now, like we didn't send email. You know, because like, who were you going to send an email to? There was not loads of lists or anything like that. So you'd literally just call up reception and say, can I speak to head of HR? Or I'd have a bit of information and say, can I speak to the partner who looks after this area? I get through to them. A lot of people would say, piss off. Like, no, why do I want to talk to you? <laughs> You're like, thank you very much. I'll keep in touch. Hang the phone up. <laughs> you go again, Bye. go again, go again. Until, until uh, yeah, yeah. Bye. See you later. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'll go and cry into my cornflakes now. Um, and then I would finally hit it. But so that, that's a normal process. Anybody can hear that, right? How do I deal with it? Well, I think dealing with failure became my superpower and the thing that I spent so much of my time focusing on, Liam, right? I had to develop a mentality to deal with failure because otherwise, being an entrepreneur is almost impossible. You'll have a mental breakdown, right? Um, <clears throat> and so I had to figure out, like, be able to, a way to keep myself steady and level and take the, the negativity as an inspiration to go again, but not take it so personally that it stopped me from trying anything. Um, and so the way that you do that is by celebrating, like, along the way, you take whatever victory you can get, um, and you celebrate it either with a lunch or with like, you know, creating a tick book or whatever system you can create, which gives you the chance to have little wins. Right. And then, um, and then beyond that, like I, I always had the objective in mind, like I needed to make money. So I needed to get my first deal to pay for wages. And I had an, a, like a target, what was going to happen? I need to get my first deal. The first deal is going to open the doors to more work and give me some, some more fuel in the engine so I can keep going and just not have, but not have like unrealistic expectations on myself. Just do the first deal. And when the first deal comes in, I'll do the next deal and then just slowly, but surely progress. Right. 
Um, so where where do you think that? So anybody um, listening to this, yeah, just do it. Sorry, so yeah, where do you think that um, comes from? Because a lot of mm. people I speak to are like young young people, and they they're always like, "Oh, I've hit rejection. I don't know where to go from here." All this sort of stuff. And for me personally, it's a lot of it might be based around school and like the way they're brought up. Because in schools, they're sort of they're taught to lose, right? They're they're given like a a medal if they come second, third, fourth place, and I don't think they're taught to handle that sort of rejection. Where do you think like your perseverance, your determination came from? I didn't have any other option, Liam. Okay. Honestly, like, like there's there's a great there's a great story I heard, um, which is. Um, if I get this right, it was um, Alexander Graham Bell, you know, inventor of the, well, it was kind of a f famous inventor at the time, but doing telephones and stuff like that. And there was a chap who wanted to, who found out about him and really wanted to work with him. And so um, I forget the name of the chap. <laughs> it's a terrible for this, but the, the essence of the story is important here. And what he did is he sold up everything. He found out where, he, where his office was in his, in his laboratory somewhere in the US sold up everything, got on a train and headed to the town and, and met him and was outside his office, knocked on the door and said, I want to work with you. I want to work with you in helping develop your, your, your inventions and sell them into the market. And, and he says the reason he, he it's worked is he had no other option. He, he'd sold everything. He'd like sold his, his possessions. He'd given up the lease on his home. He traveled halfway across the country and turned up. It had to work. And that type of determined, determined, determined attitude makes a difference. For me, like I remember my first deal with Exige, I was sleeping on the couch in my cousin's bedroom. <laughs> you know, I was using my laptop on his table and I had a, my mobile phone. And I'm literally thinking, I can't be here forever. <laughs> my cousin loves me and everything. We're like brothers, but... I can't be yeah. here forever. It's got to work out, right? I've got no other option. I don't have a lot of money. I probably had about a couple of grand in the bank. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to move home. Um, so I better make this work. And having like no avenue of retreat, right? Oh, knowing you can only go forward is really motivating in the early days, right? And so I would say to people like, you know, make it, as difficult for yourself as possible to fail as in to retreat and give up and um, just make it easy. Like make it easy that you can just keep going, have a low cost lifestyle, have um, choose an industry where you haven't got big barriers to entry and just live like frugally at first and then just get some momentum, get that flywheel moving. And that's what helped me do it. Like just slowly, but surely developing the business <clears throat> and then it sort of, grew and take off yeah i've always said that um once you're at the bottom you've got nowhere else to go there's only going to be up if you're at the bottom with with f all no money in your bank account you're only going to go up really aren't you and then i think once you go up and once you start landing those clients you almost learn the value of things if that makes sense so like i remember when i was at the bottom in the garage had no money and like, I'm fortunate now, but I live a very simple lifestyle. 
I, I don't need like nice things that, that they don't make me happy. And I think once you you're at the bottom and you realize that, then it's your mindset sort of changes. Mm. So um, let's talk about your first deal then. Yeah, on um, that point, you, can go on. Yeah, I, I, go on, go on, Lou. I, I want to just make a point to that man because I think you raised something really, really beautiful, right? And it's like it's about creation and manifestation. So many people out there listening to this as like new entrepreneurs, as like young people, maybe thinking about starting their own business, may think like, why the fuck would anybody want to buy something for me? Like, how do you get your first client? Like, how do you do that? How do you get someone to pay a bill and an invoice? Well, you know what? You'll figure all that out. But I just, the first thing is that you need to figure out and find out that you can create something from nothing. And there's nothing like, like the first client that you get and it's like it's such a beautiful moment you're like oh i can have agency over my life i can actually just go out i can live in the bottom of my garage or sleep on my cousin's couch i can use my my just my sheer like life force and determination to create something to manifest something and that moment that realization i think for me is where it all, all started and it started back as a kid, you know, realizing that I could go and sit outside a shop and, you know, get someone to give me a quid, you know, for a made in bloody guy thing. You know, for you, it was probably the first client you got on board and you're like, oh, actually, someone will pay me for a website, right? It's just yeah. you realize that there are lots of people out there who have money and they want to give it to you to solve their problem. And yeah. once you realize that and you recognize the abundance of money and how much money there is everywhere and how much opportunity there is, then it just changes. You're like, ah, okay, I got this, right? That's the moment. But sorry, you were asking a question, Liam. Yeah, 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 hundred um, percent. And I'll I'll always remember my first client because it was it was game changing, right? It meant I could get away from like I spoke about it before, like this bagged up rice, um, like porridge oat concoction or whatever it's called. It was horrible. But then I'll get this client, and I. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I blow the money on, like, nice foods. Not not like going out, but, like, I buy cheese and bread and all this sort of stuff. So, like, that was game-changing. Let's talk about your first client. What do you remember from that? Do you remember much? How did it make you feel? <laughs> yeah, I, do, I really remember it. Yeah, well, there's two there's two things for me in, in headhunting and recruitment. I mean, people out there listening to this, well, I, I'm, I'm made most of my career now in recruitment. Um, and my first deal, working for someone... Um, I remember it, um, Keith Wagstaff, um, working at Logica CMG, I placed him and I think my, the, the fee was something like 16,500 pounds. Um, I know not something like it was 16,500 pounds. This is 23 years ago. This is how much important it was to me. And I got 40% of that. So as a kid who had nothing like, you know, I had probably, you know, a back, you know, some, a bit of cash in the back, maybe a hundred quid to get that. I was like, yes. Like 17, you're like, what have I just done? I've just made like thousands of pounds in a placement. It's an amazing feeling. Like I could go and get my own apartment, all those things. I remember it because it made me realize like all those stories that I would hear, like, Will, you're, gonna, you're no good, you know, you're useless, you know, you're not going to make anything of yourself. All of a sudden, it was like, actually, I am worth something. Yes, I can create. Yes, I I knew I had an ability to do this. So it was like that first generation of confidence that started to creep in. And that then went on and I had a, I had a good first year in recruitment, which is great. Um, 
in terms of my first deal with Exige, um, I remember that one as well because I'd left and I'd sort of sleeping on the couch and I didn't have much money left. And okay. So if anybody ever thinks they can't do it, so listen to this one. So this one was, I called up a company called EDS or a big IT systems integrator. And I actually spoke to them in Sweden. Okay. So, um, I actually, I don't quite, can you believe it? I was working, I had some connections there because my surname is Leighton. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll try getting into them in Sweden because I've got a surname that's Finnish. That's literally the only connection. And I called them up and I said, hey, yeah, um, you know, do you need anybody? You're looking for someone? They went, yeah, yeah, we're looking for like a sales director, head of sales. Can you come and meet us? And I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> so I go and buy a suit, like 150 quid suit. You know, get my get my uh, get my suit on. Get on a plane to Stockholm. Never been in my life. Flew in at a hotel. I remember it flying <laughs> in, like seeing the beautiful bridges that go in through like Denmark and such. I arrive. I turn up at their office. I'm, I, I was twenty one at this point. Twenty twenty one. I probably looked about nineteen. Um, and I remember going into the meeting. They were like, told me the, the brief, and I'm like, yep, yeah, I can do that. They must have. I mean, looking back on it, they must have took pity on me or something, or just thought, who the hell is this English guy flying all the way here, telling us that he can find the people that we need? Okay, we'll give him a go. Because uh, if I had a kid do that to me, I'd be like, bloody hell, that's cool. I'm going to give him a go. You know, so that was my first retainer. I think they retained me for about, it was a £45,000 placement, I think it's the total thing. And they retained me for like stage payments of that. So I probably got like 10, 15 grand and like, boom, I'm, I'm off. Right. I think I did the, I did the placement and, um, that was enough to see me through the rest of the year. Right. And then I could just, then I could professionalize myself. Now I could get a proper website. I didn't have a website by the way, at that point, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't have anything, you know, just didn't, it was just me turning up in a suit telling them that I could do the job. Right. Um, and I did it and that was the beginning. That was the first beginning of the snowball, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be pretty. doesn't have to be perfect. <clears throat> just has to start. Yeah. What, one thing I've noticed from my own experience is when I think I was about nineteen twenty, um, we got a new lead and they said, Hey, can you come London? Can you pitch to us? I was like a kid thinking I knew it all, almost similar to, to you i i mean i didn't have to go abroad i don't know if that's thankfully or not but um went up to london the first time i'd ever wore a suit to a meeting they said hey we've got a budget of x amount of pounds and i was like wow like i, I didn't show it because i had to stay professional but i was like holy cow this is too good to be true and i pitched to him and i charlie the the founder of this company he's still with us today, still one of our highest paying customers. He turned to me and he said, you were this kid, but you told us stuff that we, no other agency has ever taught us. And like, he was just so impressed. And that's the only reason. And I think you say it was maybe like luck or a break, but I think you probably went in there and had more passion and taught them more than other recruitment agencies, recruiters have done. And I think it comes across if maybe that makes sense. yeah i think 
Yeah, it does. I mean, I live. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm good at selling. Right, that's one of my superpowers is taking a concept and selling it to someone. Right, but I wouldn't overestimate my competence because I don't think I was that competent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> realistically, I I would say this. I would say this because I, I mean, look, it's my one of my early days. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a far better headhunter now. I mean, Jesus, like the 23 years I put into my industry, like I really know what I'm doing now. I've got no problem whatsoever by understanding what I do, the science, the detail and everything. But I'll tell you this to the people listening, right? Just remember this, that you will meet so many entrepreneurs through your life when you go out and selling something who started out just like you are now. And we want to help people. Like we want to help the next generation coming through. And we love seeing a chancer. We love seeing someone who's just going to give it a go because we know we're humans. We want to help other people. We buy things from people we like. That's the rule, right? You know? Yeah. And so if I saw a young me come through the door in his ill-fitting suit, you know, with a bit of a glint in his eye and a, you know, a skip in his step, I'd be like, I like this, this kid. Can try it. Okay. Tell me what you got. <laughs> Can you do it? Okay. Let's, let's give it a go. You know, don't fuck it up. Let's actually, you know, get it done. You get it done. Brilliant. Then I'll, I'll give you an instruction somewhere else. But, you know, and particularly if it's a company's money, a big company, like I was dealing with, they like, well, you know, be all right, wouldn't it? You know, even if it goes a bit wrong. Money, yeah. I mean, you won't always, and yeah, you won't always, you won't always get it like this, folks. I don't want to like paint a picture, Liam, that it's just, you know, everybody's going to be really nice to you because not everybody will be, <laughs> but you will meet a William or a Liam somewhere along the road and they'll give you a chance, but you've got yeah. to first and foremost, put yourself in front of them, haven't you? Cause otherwise, yeah. you, you know, you get a 100% chance of a no, if you don't ask, <laughs> that's the, that is the, yeah. the old yeah, adage, no, isn't it? Yes. A 100% <laughs> chance of no, if you don't ask. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, so we were, um, we were always asked. Yeah, 100%. We were speaking the other day, I think it was you who mentioned this quote, most successful or more successful people have daddy issues. Was that you who mentioned that? Or was that someone else I spoke to? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was you, wasn't it? That was, that was me. Yeah, that was Can me, you yeah. elaborate on that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you obviously explained to me, but let's um, go through that again. <laughs> daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it, it's funny because... Um, where and what drives entrepreneurs is something of a mystery to a lot of people from the outside. Um, and I think my own reflection is that it's like one part, um, ambition and one part desperation, <laughs> right? And part of in that mix, there's like this good and bad yin and yang where that where that um that genius that magic to make shit happen comes from is difficult but i would say like over the years observing people and it's not just me who's observed this others is that a lot of male entrepreneurs tend to have some father related issue either they didn't have a father um, or they've had a father who wasn't really on the scene which usually means that they've had to step up at some point early on to be the man of the house and, and any women listening to this look it's not I'm, i can only speak as a man to this because that's what i am um but certainly the men i meet um have this in them and 
it may be also similar for women who have had to take responsibility early on. And that's where I think the nub of it is, is like if you didn't have somebody looking after you, someone providing, and you had to go and earn, then you had to go and earn. And that's like a driver. And so again, a lot of them, a lot of the men I've met, I mean, I'm trying to think of one who doesn't correlate to this. Um, but I think all of them, in fact, I've met have this issue that their dads either weren't on the scene or are kind of or completely absent. Right. Um, and that is a pain that is really difficult because it, it's something that needs to be resolved later on in life, I figure. But it can also be a really helpful <laughs> fuel in the intervening period, right? To like get you through the desire to actually make shit happen. Did you um did you have any daddy issues or not necessarily daddy issues, any um issues, <laughs> trauma. Trauma I think's the best word from yeah, your, I mean, your childhood my, that made you. Yeah, trauma, yeah. My um Yeah, my, my father and my mum divorced when I was about one and a half, two. So um my father lives in the US. My mum was English, she went out there with him. Um so very early on we split up, they split up. He was in the US, I was in the UK, came back to England, um, didn't really see him, didn't really have him on the scene. It was a bit of an acrimonious divorce as well. Um, meant then as a kid, I was moving around a lot as well, not really forming a lot of relationships. I went to a lot of different schools. My mom was in the property market trying to make money. Um, and that always left me with this sense of like, we didn't have a lot of money as well as a result. So the dad wasn't really around at all we lived you know thousands of miles away on the other side of the world um we didn't have a lot of money we moved around a lot so my friendship group was very unstable which meant that yeah I, I was kind of everywhere i went i wasn't really in the group um which made meant and if you look at it like didn't have, didn't have a father figure so i had to be the one helping to earn um didn't have money which meant that nothing got really was easy or came easy and i didn't want to live in poverty anymore i didn't want to live without any money um, and then like, I suppose, um, all of that came together with this desire to also achieve and show the world that I was worth something. Cause I didn't have, I was never in the in groups. So I wanted to prove my value to the world as well. Right. So you put all that shit together <laughs> and that is kind of what was a rocket fuel for me. That's why when it got to 17, I'm, I'm dyslexic as well. So put sure. into the mix that. I'm, I'm, I've got a high IQ, this is, sounds like, but I've been diagnosed with a high IQ, but also have effectively a disability, which makes reading for me quite difficult and slow. And at school, that was much worse and was difficult spelling. So I could verbally communicate, but I found it very difficult to articulate myself in a lot of the format that schools required, which is written format and tests and shit. So I was like, this just isn't working for me. And I wanted to prove myself. And like, and I wanted to, I didn't have any money really behind me. I came from a family of entrepreneurs that were around, you know, in, in Birmingham. And so it was always kind of like pointing at doing it myself. Um, and then that was the fuel, like, you know, and what I remember you like? if you want to tell me this, I got my first car. Sorry, go on. I, I was going to say, I got my, um, I remember hanging out my mates and my first car, my first car, my first commission, I got a BMW, I got a BMW Z3. That was my, I remember at 18, it was a beautiful car. It was, like, it was a British racing green with like a, 
a, like a cream, like a beige leather interior. I loved that car, had my own apartment. And I remember just the feeling of like, I did this, like, this is me. I created this freedom. I created this opportunity. And that for me was a real sense of overcoming. Um, it isn't enough, by the way, now 23 years later, material things and everything. I've overcome those kind of insecurities that are there. Um, but it was certainly probably part of the story that helped me get going. Sorry, did you, you want to ask a question? Yeah. Did, did you want to prove people right or, or necessarily wrong? Because for me, one, one I'm not going to lie. One of the reasons I started was there were, I, I was like bullied at school. They're like, you're never going to be anything, Liam. You're, you're a loser. You're useless mm. at school. And then I started and I was like, if I make this, I can put a big middle finger up and just go, fuck you. Mm. Now that I'm, I'm doing okay. Mm. I don't care about them, but I, I did want to prove them wrong. I, do, do you feel the same? Yeah. Well, there's always a part of like peer status, right? Um, I always had a deep belief in me that I was going to make money. It, it, it just was always going to happen. I, I don't know what I can tell you why I felt that way, but I just always knew how to hustle. Right. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like early on you want to like for humans, status is very important. We're a tribal community. We're a tribal creature. And so within like tribes and groups, like status is a very important component. And you know, at the moment status is on steroids in our, in our global like community with, more and more status symbols being required. But what we're talking about, that success, that those outward symbols of success are great ways of saying to people, fuck you, I've succeeded. Here's my status. You know, I've made money. But you've highlighted a very, so yes, absolutely was part of it for me. Um, but you've absolutely nailed a really important thing is that that's a really empty like ambition. Once you've achieved it, you go home, you sit at home with your takeaway on your own in your nice apartment with your car sitting outside and you're just the same person <laughs> eating a takeaway in your house. And you realize that shit, this doesn't make me happy. Like I may be more satisfied. I may have more freedom, but the emotional well-being, like what's going in inside your head, that's still the same. Um, and nobody teaches you how to deal with that, you know? So, it, yeah, yeah, it helps, but it, it's also, you know, it's, it's an ultimate empty thing and it, it, it needs to be addressed and then you need to find, keep finding new ways to be motivated. And that's a whole yeah. other conversation. <laughs> and I, th I think it's hard because I think that I'm, I'm guilty of this and I'm, I'm sure you are a little bit too, even if you maybe don't admit, admit it, I think you always chase something don't you and then when you get it you're like i want something more what what more can i chase and it's a i think it's a bit of a toxic cycle but i think it's so um it's the most human thing going isn't it if you have like a grand in the bank you'd obviously say you'd be happier with two grand in the bank and if you've got a million you'll say you'll be happier with two million and that sort of goes on to my next point in what is how do you find like a purpose I don't know if you're an expert to answer that, but for you, how would you find your purpose? What, what is, what is your purpose? Big question. <laughs> mm. 
It's a very big question. How long you got, my friend? Um, <laughs> am I an expert in it? Well, you know, my, my professional job is um, headhunting. So I find talent um, all over the world for some of the world's biggest organizations, financial institutions. I do a lot in the technology sector, but more and more now I'm working in the purpose-driven sector. So I help companies who are doing something which has a, a good for the world. Um, I have been wrestling with the thought of purpose um, for a long while now. Um, and, you know, back in 2019, I decided to give 10% of our revenue here from Exige to forest protection charities, um, namely particularly um, rainforest protection charities because of my love of trees and my love of forests and uh, a sense of needing to take action and be part of the solution. But that was actually also a catalyst because frankly, I felt a lack of purpose in my work. You know, once you've placed a senior person at an organization once, twice, three times, four times, five times, 10 times, 20 times, which I have, you stop being excited by it in the same way. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Like, what am I doing for the world and other people? Like, what's my, what's my, what abundance am I creating? Apart from the opportunity for my staff, which is very good, you know, helping people be employed. So I've been thinking a lot on what my purpose is. And um, I'm now involved with um, Rainforest Trust UK as a council member. I help them raise fund, fund, funds and donations. Um, I do coach in the community for football. Um, I do pro bono coaching for people who are thinking about career change and want to do different stuff. So what I've done effectively is I've, and I've been thinking about this, by the way, and I'd recommend anybody listening to go look at something called 80,000 Hours. It's an amazing website, 80,000 Hours, which is an offspin of uh, effective altruism, which um, helps people think about um, what they could do with their working life. Because 80,000 Hours, by the way, is like the amount of hours you have in an average 40-year career, right? And it's a way for you to think about doing something that could be good for the world during your time. But... Um, there's, there's a very important concept, which I will tell you this, Liam, that is that anybody listening to this, which I think may be quite, maybe younger, is to realize that you don't have to do it all at once at the beginning. <laughs> you don't have to figure out your purpose like straight away. Like early on in your career, sometimes the best thing that you can do for the world is make money and just develop a network, get financially secure, like create some, like some flywheel of cash around you, put some in the bank, maybe employ a few people, and start to learn an industry, create a network, get some money. And then after maybe like five years, 10 years, when you've started to got enough expertise, then you can start pivoting more and more into doing good and doing more purpose-driven work. And so it can be, it doesn't have to be a like, oh, I figured it out, that's my purpose. Because I, I think it's incredibly difficult for people to hear, you know, what's your purpose? Do something that's, you know, that, that's your, your one thing you're meant here to be, be to do here on earth. Well, that's bullshit. I mean, because, you know, it's really difficult for someone who's 19 to be able to say, this is what I'm here on earth to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. You would ask me back when I was 19, I would have told you it's driving nice cars, going on holiday and drinking until I'm, I fall over most days. That was like, going to probably be what my, my ambition was. <laughs> um, but that, of course, has evolved <laughs> you know, as I've had kids and I've got older and, I, you know, but uh, it, it, I, and, and what I actually did, what actually happened to me, Liam, is I learned how to make relationships with people. I learned how to connect people. I learned how to deal with people who are very rich, very senior in big organizations. And now, now that I'm 40, I can start taking those skills 
and really making make use of them for the world by either bringing in you know significantly wealthy people connecting them to charities or helping to change people's minds through podcasting and various other ways that can help direct them into really meaningful work so you know i don't don't kill yourself over like doing the best right now just do something and it yeah it's iterative you know yeah right so my final question and i i ask everybody everyone this um whether they're successful or or not or just like whatever is does money make you happy and you've got a bit of a different story because obviously we spoke before and you said the financial crisis hit. you didn't have a deal for 18 months you were down to i think about 10 20 in the bank something like that you'd lost investments you had like no exit plan you you might have a different answer than most people i speak to on this um so yeah i'll let i'll let you finish on on this one <laughs> mm. Yeah. By the way, I didn't, I didn't say that one as my, you know, that was very true, you know, about 2018, 2008 financial crisis hit, I lost a lot and big house, you know, lots of money. And it was really difficult, man. It was a real humility check for me. Um, but prior to that, like leading into that, that period, you know, I went from earning a hundred K a year. It was on my own in my house, you know, you know, really comfortable with that. And we did like 500 K and, um, just me and my wife working together. And, um, that's a lot of money, man, you know, to earn in one year <laughs> and yeah. um, working from home in my, you know, bedroom. And, um, I was like, shit, man, this is so cool. <laughs> but was I five times happier? No, no, I wasn't five times happier. That was like a moment. Like I went, Oh, right. I, I thought I would be like, I'd, I'd be in like Nirvana. It doesn't work like that. It's like, I was just the same person just with some more cash to spend on more shit. You know, um, there is a lot of research that goes into this and you should look on 80,000 hours folks is that it's not an imperfect thing. Like money does up to a point buy you a lot of satisfaction and does increase your sense of happiness. Uh, and I think this research is up to about 50,000, 40 to 50,000 pounds. It's like a, sweet spot and then after that like quick rise it starts to grow it goes up still but not like as not exponentially not like at a sharp hockey stick like curve up it's more of a gradual thing and it goes all the way to like 200k and it's really you're kind of the same between probably about 80k and 100 200k by and by but actually even happiness is not really the right thing to say is actually satisfaction, like your sense of satisfaction with who you are and what you've achieved and how people view you. So my view is no, no, money doesn't immediately buy you happiness. It certainly can buy you some satisfaction. Um, but you and I, I think you're, you know, this as well is like, if you carry in you like any pain or trauma or a tendency towards depression, um, <laughs> substance abuse, alcoholism, whatever it may be, I don't care what you're earning. You could be a miserable bastard, you know? And so it puts the emphasis on looking at money as a great way to buy the space and freedom to work on yourself at looking to generate well-being, satisfaction and happiness. It should be, it should be the thing that you, you aim at is like, how much freedom can I give myself? 
to be a better version of me and deal with all of the crap that I've maybe carrying around. Um, and that is how money can be helpful, but it doesn't just give you happiness. Um, I could delve more into the psychology of that with you. Um, there's something called hedonic adaption, which is an interesting theme that your listeners might want to kind of um, find out about. Hedonic, hedonic adaption is a, is a term that basically means that humans are very good at adapting to the surroundings in which they find themselves. So this is why millionaires who sit in like a, a, a plush flat in Kensington or something start getting really weird about having the finest champagnes because they've got used to having champagne and it's no longer amazing so they need the next hit the next hit and it's just minor increments humans are really good at getting comfortable with what their current surroundings hedonic adaption so yeah, yeah. there's my um my, my 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 thought piece on it and um uh, again I'm, I'm working a lot on this myself and you know working a lot on my meditation and my mindset and my health and um philosophy and it's a constant constant process i don't certainly don't have it sussed out but i'm working on it man no, and, and I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on. I said that was the last question. This is the final question. What does the future look like for you? What What are your next next plans? And then we'll wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. It's a big one, man. Because I'm I'm in the midst of it at the moment. Um, um, I, I'm trying to dedicate this part of my life um, to helping other people and, f and helping people alleviate suffering and um, do the best that I can with the remaining years I have on this earth um, and in my work. So I'm currently in the midst of a bit of chaos, like applying all the learnings I have, advising other people on how to find a good job to myself. All right. What do I do with that? How do I do that? What happens next? Um, so in, in, I'm doing work in charities. I said, I, I may take a pivot out of headhunting into um, pro bono work, charity work. Um, but I may also start something entirely new. So I'm currently in the midst of that. Um, I'm currently helping and sort of still at the same time managing Exige, my current company and, um, mentoring my, my director who's there and looking to hand that over in a, in a, in any sort of orderly way. But basically it's really exciting, Liam, because I'm having to go back to where I was before. Like, you know, maybe I'm going to be sitting on like sleeping on a couch, <laughs> you know, um, just like my couch this time, but really with my back <laughs> against the wall again, knowing that I've got to make it work, you know, um, yeah. maybe it'll be with other people's money this time, people investing in me, but I'm looking forward to it in a way. So the unknown is where I'm at right now. And it's, um, it's glorious in a way, but also terrifying. The unknown. We'll leave it at that. That's a good answer. That's the one I was sort of hoping you'd give because even though you're you're more successful now, st even starting out is it's more about the unknown side of things, isn't it? But um, hey, Will, thanks so much for for coming on the mm. podcast, mate. I can't wait to get this one out. I'm sure it'll get a lot of um traction. Um, so yeah, but thank you very much, and and I wish you all the best for the future. And I'm I'm sure we'll stay in contact. Yeah, 100%. Man. And um, Liam, thank you for what you're doing. You know, you're a great example of someone who had started with nothing, with just a bit of determination and belief. You've managed to create what you've created. And so um, thank you for inviting me to come on. Hey, thank you so much for listening to episode five of The Online Disruptor. 
I hope you really enjoyed it. I know it certainly opened my eyes and provided me with like a lot of insights, right? He is an incredible guy. And I'll link his um, LinkedIn in the comments below. And I definitely recommend you go follow him. He's got his own podcast, which is also very eye-opening. So thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you all next week when my next guest is truly remarkable. But that's all I'm going to say. I am so excited to share this with you. He has he is an incredible Danish bloke. That's all I'm going to say. So have a great week and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.